Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. And the really great thing about this, Karen, that I, I got to say is for the last five or six years, every time we go to a visitor center, uh, the park rangers try to sell us a senior pass because <laughs> they say, good news, folks, you're probably eligible for a senior pass, which is, is for people 62 years of age or older. Yeah, that's really that, bad for us that we look like we're 62 but we're not, and we still have to pay the $80. So that, that that's like a lose-lose for yeah, us. It's really, it's really the reason why we act so immature, is to just give people a, a little bit of a hint that we're not 62. This is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, stories from our travels to all the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Karen Smith. And I'm Matt Smith. We're the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. This is our monthly mailbag episode. So you've sent in some great questions. Thank you for that. We always get such great questions. Today, we'll be answering questions about the America the Beautiful Pass, and we'll share some thoughts on how to get started backpacking. And we'll be giving some career advice. (laughs) Yes, you heard that correctly. We'll share some thoughts about how to balance work and travel. Are you sure we're qualified to give career advice? Remember, we quit our jobs to visit all the national parks. Well, I think with a lot of the things we say, we're telling people how not to do it. <laughs> so <laughs> That's true. Don't do yeah, what we did. Kind this of is what stuff. we did. And so <laughs> don't do it that way. So stay tuned. All this and more coming up next. probably noticed that I've spent the last couple hours frantically digging through all of our backpacking gear. I wondered why it was all over the floor since we don't have any backpacking trips coming up. Yeah, our son, who's 32, just announced yesterday that he's going backpacking in the mountains this weekend, and it's supposed to rain and snow, and he's never been backpacking before. (laughs) And he came to me and said, hey, can I borrow your backpack? (laughs) And I think when he said that, he said it in a way like, because that's all he needs. Just a backpack. Because, yeah, you just take a backpack and you throw stuff in it and you go backpacking. So, But he doesn't have anything else. He doesn't have anything else. And so I have to outfit him, not only outfit him completely, but 
I only have a few hours to do this because he's leaving soon and we're going off to another trip. Now I'm worried. I'm worried about our son because he's never done anything like that. Well, yeah. Well, maybe the, maybe I should go with him. Well, the, <laughs> the one thing that makes me feel better is the, the buddy that he's going with is a friend of ours who we've actually been backpacking with him before. And so I know he knows what he's doing and he'll keep our son alive. <laughs> Uh, but <laughs> well, someone's going to have to, does he, does he have long underwear? I asked him, I didn't really understand his answer <laughs> to, to, to that question. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to just load him up with sleeping bag, sleeping pad. I know they're going to share a tent, but I'll give him a steri pen to purify water and a headlamp and I'll, I'll give him enough stuff. Hopefully he doesn't just leave it all in his truck. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Now I'll be worried about him all weekend up there in the snow in the North Cascades. He is 32. You never stop worrying about your babies, no matter how old your babies get. That's right. You know, it's funny because that ties into everything we're going to talk about today. What are some of the things you need to start backpacking? And another question we got is when you're young, how to balance uh, careers with adventuring and our kids are kind of just getting started in their careers and haven't done a lot of outdoor adventuring, backpacking, hiking, things like that. Yeah, so t uh, timely episode in terms of just what are the basics. And, and there are a lot of details that if you haven't done it before, it just wouldn't occur to you. Yeah, he doesn't know how lucky he is that you have all of this gear for him to borrow because he would get up there, he would be freezing, he would be hungry, uh, he would be completely miserable. That's right. But before we start in on all that, we wanted to talk first about the America the Beautiful Pass because we get a lot of questions about that. Right. This is a mailbag episode, and usually we, we talk about a specific question somebody's asked us, and then we answer that. But we get so many questions about the America the Beautiful Pass. We thought we'd just do like a little overview, kind of answer a lot of the questions that we know people have because they ask us. All right, let's dig in. Now, we will put links to a lot of the things that we reference here in the show notes of this episode. You can find our show notes at www.thedearbobandsuepodcast.com, and we'll also put it on a blog post on www.mattandkaren.com, so you can just follow those links. And I know, Matt, you did a lot of the research on this. Well, actually, you did all of the research on this, and your outline, I have to say, is a thing of beauty. It doesn't look anything like my outline. Well, it's not a competition. <laughs> But if it were, <laughs> I, I would win the, the outline competition for today. You would win hands down for the last year, I think. So let's start with what is it? So it's the America the Beautiful Pass. It provides entrance or access to more than 2,000 federal recreation sites. So it, it's an entry pass. A lot of people think of it as the pass to get into national parks, but it's a lot more than that. There are six different federal agencies that participate in this program, so you can get into national forests and so on and so forth. Yeah, it's way more than just the national parks. That's right, and I have to say, we use ours all the time for the national forests here in Washington State because you do need a pass. So we just take our America the Beautiful Pass, put it um, on our dashboard, and it works for those too. It saved us a ton of money. Right. There's six different varieties of this pass, and we'll talk about all of those. 
But before we do that, the big question is how much does it cost? Well, that's a little tricky because there's different passes and some of them are free, but the pass that most people are thinking of is the annual pass that costs $80 per year. And that's the one we have. And I cannot tell you how much money that saved us. I was just thinking about the trip we did in September to Northern Arizona. We went to Grand Canyon, Petrified Forest National Park. We stopped at Zion National Park and we went to um, Walnut Canyon that had an entrance fee. And when you add all those up, it came to like $95. And that was in one week. And of course, we used our $80 America the Beautiful Pass, and we got into all of those. Yeah, huge savings on that. Yeah, I I don't see any of that savings. It seems like every year I'm the one who forks out the 80 bucks, and then... Well, here's how that works. So what I do is I figure out in the entire year how much we've saved by using our $80 pass, right? I add up all the federal lands that we've gone to that charge an entrance fee. Then I subtract out the $80. All that money that's left, that's how much money I have to spend in the visitor center gift shops. Is that right? (laughs) Do you put it in a bucket? Is it next to the wish bucket? I want to see where you keep these buckets uh, because that bucket needs to give me $80 a year. All right, we can take it out of that bucket. Yeah, and so here's another tip. The pass, if you're going to get the annual pass, it is good for 12 months. However, it's good for a year after the month you buy it. So if you buy it on January 1st, it's really a 13-month pass because it expires then January 31st of the next year. So that's a little tip. I always try to nab one, right, early in whatever month it is that ours has expired. What a good tip, Matt. So what... Besides the $80 annual pass, what are some of the others then? Yeah, so like I said, there are six varieties. So there's the annual pass that is essentially for anyone who doesn't fall under these other categories. There's a senior pass for people over 62, and that is offered both in a lifetime pass for 80 bucks or an annual pass for 20. And the really great thing about this, Karen, that I, I got to say is for the last five or six years, every time we go to a visitor center... Uh, the park rangers try to sell us a senior pass because they say, good news, folks, you're probably eligible for a senior pass, which is is for people 62 years of age or older. Yeah, that's really that, bad for us that we look like we're 62, but we're not. And we still have to pay the $80. So that, that that's like a lose-lose for us. It's really, it's really the reason why we act so immature is to just give people... A little bit of a hint that we're not 62. The next type is an access pass. It's available to U.S. citizens or permanent residents with permanent disabilities. They can get a free lifetime pass. And all the details about what constitutes a permanent disability and all of that, you got to follow the links to see all that because the details are too much for us to go through right now. Now... There is a fourth grade pass. And that's one a lot of people don't know about. I think, you know, if the the national parks are America's best idea, this has got to be our second best (laughs) idea. It's free to U.S. fourth graders. This this also includes homeschooled and free choice learners that are 10 years of age. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, anyone under the age of 16 gets in free anyway. 
So really what the fourth grader pass is, it's for the parents. Right? That's right. Or, or it's the, for their families. It's for, yeah, mm-hmm. it's for the families, the, the accompanying adults. Now, you have to first get an Every Kid Outdoors paper pass. And then once you have that, you can get the fourth grader pass. There's links on the website uh, that show you how to do all that. And this pass, though, is only good for September of when they start the fourth grade through the following August. So if you're listening to this now in October and you have a fourth grader, absolutely go get your pass. But it's not good for a year from when you get it. It will expire next August. Just FYI. Right. You have the military pass. Now, that's a free annual pass that's available to current military members and their dependents. So this is Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard, and Space Force, as well as Reserve and National Guard members. It's also available to veterans and Gold Star family members. So that's a great deal. That is such a wonderful thing. Mm -hmm. And then finally, there is a volunteer pass. So people who volunteer 250 hours of service to these participating federal agencies they can get a free annual pass. Now, is that 250 service hours a year? I don't think it is. The way the the website talks about it is when you hit 250 hours, and that can be over several years, you're eligible for a free annual pass, you know, starting then Mm -hmm. forward. But they can accrue hours across the different federal agencies. The website says check with your volunteer coordinator or manager and they can give you the details about how to track your hours and and so on and so forth. So those are the six different types of passes. Okay, very nice, Matt. Thank you, Karen. (laughs) I actually learned a few things that I didn't know. So how do you get one of these passes? Now, typically the way we get them is we're, we're at the entrance station to a park and our pass is expired and you just buy it right there. And it does take a little bit longer, although they're pretty quick with this. If you buy it with a credit card right there, even though there's a line of cars behind you, they they move you through pretty quick. Mm-hmm. It um, does not take long. No, you, you can also buy them a lot of times at the visitor center. There is an online store, and I will say it here, uh, but again, you can go in the show notes and get it. It's http colon forward slash forward slash store dot usgs dot gov forward slash pass. Uh, so that is the store where you can buy them online. Yeah, and you know what? This makes a fantastic gift for someone in your life who loves the national parks and all the federal lands. Like, what a great gift. Yeah, so you can get it as a gift. There's a place on the back to sign it. Just don't sign it so that you can give it to whoever you're going to give it to as a gift. You can also get an electronic gift card with an amount that then the recipient of that card can apply it to an annual pass. Oh, that's a good idea. So that's another way to Mm -hmm. kind of do this as a gift. So how do you use it? Well, when every time we go into a national park that has the the kiosk, the entrance station, you hold it out with your ID. Uh, We use it on our dashboard in a lot of places where you have to go to the little kiosk and buy your daily entry at the trailheads for the national forest. We've used it many different ways. And when you buy it, they give you a little rear view mirror hanging tag. And so that way, if the rangers are checking the parking lot, they can see your pass. That's right. Death Valley is a good example of that. There are no entrance 
kiosk stations. But if you want to spend time in Death Valley, when you go into the visitor center, you have to show them your pass or you have to buy a pass if you don't have one. Another thing uh, to keep in mind is that the pass allows for two owners. There is a place on the back for two signatures. These This can be any two people. Now ours, it's I sign it and then you sign it. Thank so, you. Right. Uh, <laughs> For choosing me. <laughs> but since you're always with me, I could have somebody else sign it and they could always take that with them when I'm not using it. Right. The problem is they give you one pass. So it really should be someone that you're in close contact with, maybe a roommate. If it, you know, if it's not your significant other, a roommate, maybe your brother or sister, because there is one pass. So you'd have to be transferring it back and forth between the two of you. And they do check the signature on the back of the card. So uh, just to help the ranger out and all the cars behind you have your ID ready. They really appreciate that. And they check the two signatures and you're on your way. Yeah. And the other great thing about it is it's also good for the people who are in your vehicle. So what is it up to four adults can get in with you on your pass? This is the answer. To this is a little complicated. We found this out on this last trip to Arizona and Utah. For parks or federal lands that charge by the vehicle, it's good for the entire vehicle, no matter how many people are in it. For parks that charge by the person, the pass is good for up to four people. So we went to Walnut Canyon, for instance. I pulled up. My sister and her husband were in the car behind us. I told the ranger that they were with us because that park charges by the person my sister and her husband got in on our pass because it's a total of four people, even though it was two cars. Then we went to Petrified Forest National Park. I said the same thing, but that, that park charges by the vehicle. So I couldn't get them in on my pass. And just know that if you lose your pass or if you forget your pass, um, <laughs> there's no talking your way in. You just have to repay the entrance fee. Right. If, if you go to a park and you buy the annual pass and you get home and you realize, oh, I bought one six months ago and I forgot, they're not going to give you a refund. It's just... You can think of it as a donation to the parks, though. (laughs) Right, right. And that's true. I mean, it's like a voluntary tax, and it's going to a a good place. Other thing to keep in mind, it does not get you entry into state parks, local parks, tribal parks, Mm -hmm. like Monument Valley. That's a Navajo tribal park. All right. Well, and if you have any more questions about those, um, as Matt said, we'll put the links to all that information on our show notes so that you can um, so you can get on the Internet and read all about it for yourself. All right. So moving on to our next question that we're going to talk about. This question came from Karen and Mike, who live in Maine. And the question is, Dear Matt and Karen, we have been inspired by your stories of backpacking. Have you both always been avid hikers and backpackers? My husband and I are in our mid-60s, but consider ourselves quite active and fit. Hiking seems totally doable, but we haven't backpacked since we were in college. Do you have any tips for getting started in backpacking? Did you do any specific training before venturing out? All right, really great question. It seems like we get a lot of questions from Karen's. 
We do. For some reason, we get a lot of questions from Karens. They're finding this a safe place (laughs) to actually use their real name. (laughs) That's right. We welcome all the Karens here, all the wonderful Karens. Uh, But I want to say, first of all, before we start specifically answering your questions, that, you know, we can always tell a lot about people by what they wrote to us. And I just have to say that I think for a couple in their mid-60s who are asking this, who want to start maybe a new challenging activity, I think that's wonderful because you know how it gets people as they get older, they get set in their ways and and sometimes don't want to try new things. So I think it's wonderful that you're thinking about this and wondering how to get started. It used to be that when we ran into something that was difficult, we'd always think, gosh, do we really have to do that? That's kind of a pain. Is there an easier way? And I think really, even the older we get, we see challenges as a positive thing, right? A way to grow, way to learn something new, but also just to challenge yourself physically is a good thing. Absolutely. Push yourself and and see what you're capable of, because a lot of times we have no idea until we actually try it. For all of you people who read Dear Bob and Sue, when we were 50 and we started our journey to all the national parks, I said repeatedly throughout there that I was not a camper and I was not going to camp. And now, you know, all these years later, not only do we camp, but we backpack. So uh, so never say never, I guess. I think, the- I think there was even some complaining about it. <laughs> and so now uh, we're backpackers. Mm-hmm, that's right. But yes, so that first part of your question, have you always been avid hikers and backpackers? No. We started hiking at about 50, and we didn't start backpacking until, what, maybe three years ago? Yeah, because we just didn't, I don't know, I mean, we just didn't know how to do it. We had some friends, and this is kind of part of the answer. We had some friends who did know about backpacking, knew knew how to backpack, had the equipment. They were telling us, hey, we should all go backpacking together. So it was good to go with somebody who knew what they were doing. Yes, that's key. And the other thing, too, is the reason we started backpacking was because we realized that there were all of these places we wanted to see that were too far for a day hike. So the only way you could get there is if you could spend the night spend one night, spend two nights, or even three. So that was our motivation to start backpacking. Yeah, you also uh, have, when you're backpacking, you have opportunities to see stuff that you you wouldn't just on a day hike. So you have early morning, late at night, when all the day hikers are gone. A lot of these places, the crowds completely go away at night and early morning because, you know, the day hikers, they haven't arrived yet, or they've had to Uh, you know, go back to the trailhead. And so you have a different experience if you're spending the night in a place, even if it's not that far away from the trailhead. Absolutely. And and let's also not forget about the, the stars at night and the Milky Way. And it just opens up a whole nother world if you are willing to start backpacking and do, do the steps that it takes. So we'll talk about that. I know, Matt, on your outline, you've got... First of all, start small and try it out. And I think that's key is start small. And we did that. We Mm -hmm. did our first backpacking trip. It was just a couple of miles. It was maybe two and a half, three miles. Uh, It wasn't a lot of elevation gain. And that was key because I think on that trip, we overpacked our packs and they were heavier than they should be. So it was good that we had a short hike. So we learned that lesson on a level trail as opposed to doing our very first trip up into the mountains with with overpacked 
packs. That's right. We hiked to one of the beaches in Olympic National Park. And so it was a fairly level two mile hike to get there. Uh, so yeah, we started small. We weren't that far from our truck if we needed to go back to get something or we just needed to get it the hell out of there right. for whatever reason. So it felt safe, didn't it? Yeah. And you also learn on that first trip or two what you really need and what's just kind of a nice to have and it's not worth the wait. Uh, So start small, go with somebody who knows what they're doing. If you can find friends or, or, or somebody who's done it, you get a lot of tips that way. You also might want to consider borrowing equipment rather than buying. Again, this sometimes is easier said than done. But when I was doing the research for this, there are a lot of places now that rent equipment just for this very reason. So if people want to backpack just once a year and they know that they might never go backpacking again, you can rent places. I will put links to a great article about this in the show notes. Yeah, and and that is good for starting out to see if you like it because we're going to talk about some of the basic things you need on a backpacking trip. And it can be expensive to outfit yourself with all of this stuff. So to try it out, if you can borrow or rent, that would be a good thing. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. So you have a quite a list here, Matt. <laughs> yeah. So okay. So let's get into like what mm-hmm. what do you really need? And on any topic we talk about, weight is important, mm-hmm. and every ounce does add up. So first of all, you need a backpack. Now, whether you rent one or buy one, I would suggest that you try to get it fitted. You learned this because it was time to get your pack, and we go to the outdoor store, and the woman helping you measured you and you ended up getting a a pack in a very different size than you would have guessed. That's right. So let me just say there are two things to consider when you're buying a, a backpacking backpack. There is the capacity size. How much will it hold? So there's that size to consider. And then there is the size that corresponds with your body size. So there are two different things to look at. And I am usually a small, I would have gotten a small, but when the woman at REI measured me, they measure your spine. So it's a completely different measurement. And she told me I was an extra small. I guess that means I have a really short spine. Right. Yeah, I've always known that. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So what you're saying is if you're shopping for, let's say a 60 liter backpack, the 60 liter backpack will come in large, medium, small, extra small. Right. And all 
those sizes are still 60 liter backpacks. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. something we were ignorant to before we started shopping for backpacks. Yeah. And again, the 60 liter size, you, you want to consider how many days you're going to be out because obviously those bigger ones might be for people doing the Appalachian Trail and things where they are literally gone for months. If you are going on a one, two, three night backpacking trip, you don't need the biggest size of backpack. Now you're going to need a tent. And there are a lot of people who say, well, you don't need a tent. You can just, you know, sleep out in the open. And and some people do that. And of course, this depends on where you're going, what time of year, the forecast, all of those things. But I would suggest a tent. I would definitely suggest a tent. <laughs> it keeps yeah. the critters away. Yeah. And- I mean, for safety and for weather, I think you absolutely need a tent. Another thing you absolutely need is a sleeping bag. Right. This is also a category where there's a wide range of weight and you do want one that is as light as possible. And they're also rated by the temperature, how low of a temperature they will keep you comfortable. The lower temperature rated are heavier because there's more fill in in the sleeping bag. You also need a sleeping pad. Yeah, this this makes me laugh because we uh, have gone through many sleeping pads because the problem we have found with so many is that they're crunchy. When when your partner turns over constantly in the middle of the night, they make a very loud noise. Yeah, and, and generally those are the inflatable ones. Right. And I flip around like a fish all night long. Mm-hmm. I think we're on the third one now for you. I just bought you a new one as a gift. I don't think we've had a chance to try that one out. We, we haven't, but if, if this turns into a real problem and, and you roll around a lot at night, you can go with the closed cell, like a thermarest, Uh, which I use sometimes and it's not as comfortable, but uh, it's, it does provide some pretty good insulation and uh, cushioning against the ground. Uh, And it's super light to carry. So I definitely suggest a sleeping pad. Something you might not think about is a headlamp. You Mm -hmm. need a headlamp and either I would suggest either have two or extra batteries for the one you have. And, and these don't have to be expensive. I just go to Home Depot and get the Energizer headlamps uh, that hold AAA batteries. I think they're 16, 17 bucks each. So if I break one or lose one, I don't have to worry that I just broke something that cost 100 bucks. Very important. You need some bathroom supplies. You need a sanitary trowel to dig a little cat hole to go to the bathroom in. And I see you have on here wag bag, Matt. I don't know what that is. Remember the rest stop. Oh, the toilet to go. The toilet to yeah. go. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, in some cases, you're not allowed to bury your waste. Mm-hmm. One piece of advice is you got to know the rules and regulations for where you're going. Right. Do you need a permit? Where can you go to the bathroom? All, all of that. But if you have to pack it out, wag bag is kind of the generic term for these devices that is essentially... It's a large bag that you can go in. It's got a chemical in it that kind of sanitizes and hardens the waste. You can then pack it up nice and tight and and safe and pack it out with you. But you need to plan for how and where are you going to go to the bathroom if you're out there for any length of time. Our next category is food. Now, if you are just getting started and you're going for one night somewhere, you do not need to cook food, right? You can bring granola bars and some sandwiches. You could totally make do. But if you're going for longer or once you get more experience, you're going to need a a camp stove, right? A jet boil um, and fuel and then some rehydrated meals. And this is a personal preference. We 
think the uh, freeze-dried meals are fine. So we take a jet boil, which really all you're doing in a standard jet boil, the flash model is boiling water and then using that water to rehydrate your food. But our friends, like for instance, John and Lolly, they don't prefer the freeze-dried foods. So they have a different type of camp stove that has like a little skillet. And I know they'll make rice and, and Lolly will saute vegetables and stuff. And so you have to plan, like, what are you going to eat? And then that dictates what kind of device you need. Because some people think, well, I can just make macaroni and cheese inside my jet boil. You can, but it's <laughs> it's hard to it's hard to clean out. Really hard to clean out in the wilderness. And then you're going to want to boil water for coffee. And then you have macaroni and cheese stuck on your jet boil. So anyway, probably wouldn't advise that. So on the next category, you need something to protect your food and anything with the scent against critters. So if there's bears in the area, uh, you need maybe a bear vault that you put your food, any waste, toothpaste, anything that smells that can attract a bear. Again, you have to check the regulations for where you go. Some people don't carry the bear vaults. They can uh, put their food and scented items in a bag and hang that from a tree so that the bears can't get it. And then some sometimes you're in areas where bears aren't a problem, but Raccoons, raccoons, squirrels, chipmunks. Mm -hmm. And so that you can get these bags that are kind of like chain mail so that the rodents can't chew through those. So you need to protect your your stuff against critters. Now, that's pretty much it. I mean, I would say also because it's easy to pack along. You you want some way to make a fire. Mm -hmm. And now fires are uh, really out of fashion these days because of all the wildfires and problems we have. But. You know, in the fall, winter, and spring, when places are wet and cold and there isn't danger of wildfires, you might need to create a fire to stay warm. Yeah, and two more quick things. Obviously, you need water, and you're going to need a way to get more water, so you're going to need some kind of a purification system. Yeah, and sometimes we just simply carry a Steri pen, mm -hmm. which is electronic, and electronics can break down in the wilderness, so you got that issue. But uh, we can just fill water bottles up in a creek. Uh, if there's stuff in the creek, we can pour water through a bandana into another water bottle to kind of filter out all the big chunks and then just purify it with the Steri pen. That's a good lightweight way to purify water when you're when you're backpacking. Right. And it also, um, I think it goes without saying that you also need to bring the 10 essentials with you. Uh, we had a whole podcast episode on that. So first aid kit, all those kinds of things, uh, you're going to want to have that with you as well. Now, REI has a great backpacking checklist. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. So you can look at all the other things that we didn't cover. Okay. So the second part of the question about getting into shape, we haven't really done any specific training to get in shape for backpacking, but in the summers we hike a lot and we just start doing harder hikes with more incline. And we do oftentimes make our packs heavier. We put extra water in. So kind of get ourselves ready for the, uh, the incline and the heavier packs on our backs. Yeah. And one thing I will say, because we have hiked or backpacked with people who are otherwise in great shape because they do some other thing let's say they're mountain bikers in their great shape and then they go on a hike and it's all of a sudden this challenge for them it's like they're a beginner and your body gets used to that specific thing that you're doing so if you're really good at like distance running 
you want to do a practice hike with a backpack on because you're using different muscles. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't know why, maybe it's my body type, but heavy backpacks really hurt my back. And it almost doesn't matter how good a shape I'm in. And so I kind of need to get used to that by doing a couple of practice hikes with, with a heavier pack. That's right. And also some advice from, from the rookies here on our first backpacking trip. We had everything we, we thought we needed in our living room and we loaded up our packs and then we carried them to the truck with both hands. And when we got to the trailhead at the beach and I went to put my pack on for the first time fully loaded, I couldn't get the thing on. Remember, you had to help me. Yeah. And there is a little <laughs> technique where you, you bend one knee, you uh -huh. lift it onto the knee, then you get the waist strap situated then you put one strap on so anyway you, you got to practice this stuff even though you wouldn't think you would have to right anyway i hope this helps getting started if you love it there are obviously more things that you can buy and bring with you once you know that you're going to continue backpacking like we have those little lightweight camp chairs we always bring those because it's really nice to have a seat totally optional and it adds weight but those little camp chairs even when we're dreading how much our backpack weighs, we always add those on because it's worth the extra weight to have that chair when you're at camp. Anyway, thanks for the really great question, Karen and Mike. I hope you guys have a chance to start backpacking uh, and give it a try and see if you love it. Okay, what is our next question? Is it from Karen? No, it's not from a Karen. This one is from Lisa in Los Angeles. And here is her question. As a current senior in college, I feel lots of pressure to focus on my career and work as much as I can in this time of my life. But over the past year of the pandemic, I've had a lot of time to think about what I want my life to look like, and that definitely involves spending as much time as possible in the outdoors, hiking, backpacking, camping, and adventuring. However, these things tend to take a lot of time and focus away from professional endeavors, and it's hard to not feel guilty about that. I know you guys are at a different time in life and have had established careers, but do you have any advice for young people or people of any age on how to make time to go on the epic adventures like you guys do? I know a lot of people wait until retirement age to travel, but I feel the impact of the environmental crisis, and I worry that I may not get to see certain things in my lifetime, and I also just want to seize the day. You know, that's such a good question, Lisa, because of two things. I feel like we've touched on the seize the day and that we all have a finite amount of time on this planet. But I think one thing we never talk about is, does the planet have a finite amount of time with everything that's been happening lately? And I know that you folks in California with the horrific wildfire season you've had this summer are feeling it, you know, possibly even more than the rest of us across the country. It is a good question. And I would just say that it's great that you're thinking about it early in your career. And you know, look, we're big believers in doing things while you can. Uh, you never know what the future holds. But that said, you do have to balance your financial security and your experiences. And it really boils down to what do you value? Some people get very anxious if they're not financially secure and worrying about where their next paycheck is coming from or how much they have saved for, for the future and all of that. And if that gives you high anxiety 
to have financial insecurity, then then you probably allocate more time to building a career and, and making sure that, that you have the job and, and all of that. If you're a person who values experience, let's say, over financial security, then yeah, you, you would dial up your adventures. Just remember that, and maybe this is changing a little bit with COVID over the last couple of years and, and people changing the way they think about careers. Absences from your career do hurt your future career advancement in some instances and in a lot of instances. Our situation, for instance, we quit our jobs mid-career to go see all the national parks and travel. Absolutely would make that same choice again. But it's hard to explain that absence if, you know, a few years later you go back to work, which is something I did. So just know that it's a balance between those two things. And it's a personal choice. Absolutely. And a lot of people look at what we're doing and we get a lot of comments on social media about, I want to do what you're doing. I want your life. How do you guys do this? And as you pointed out, Lisa, we are in a different time of our life. You know, back when we got married in the early 80s, right out of college, that's what everyone did in the Midwest, right? You go to college, you get married, you have kids, and you work until you're 65. And then you think about going to the parks. But we we did take a break at 50 because we figured that there is no guarantee, right? What happens if we get to 65 and either we're no longer alive or we're you know disabled in some way? Um, So I think the seize the day thing is important. But I also want to say that we had a chance to save for decades to do this. It's expensive, right? To travel. And it wasn't like, you know, we won the lottery and we had, uh, you know, all the money we needed and we could go travel and do everything. We still have to balance travel and adventure with career. And that does sometimes create some anxiety for us, but it's worth it. Everyone has to figure out what the right balance is. Now, all of that said, I do believe that the extremes of either of those choices, focusing all on career or focusing all on travel and adventure, the extremes of each of those are not necessarily positive, right? If you're working 80 hours a week, your entire career, your health is failing because you're a workaholic and that's all you're doing. There's negative side effects to that, Mm -hmm. as we all know. But you know, there's also negative side effects to living in a tent or living in a van all the time and you don't have a permanent home and you're traveling you know, we've we've seen that too, right? People get out there and now it's six months and they've They've lived in a tent and they just think, God, I'm, I, I, just want, I just want to be at home. I'd just like to have a job for a while. Yeah, you know, it is a tale of extremes for sure. It seems like ever since the pandemic hit, people are ditching their jobs or they're working remotely and they're hitting the road, whether they're buying an RV and taking off or whether they're doing the hashtag van life and living in their van. It's a very popular thing to do now. And we all see those photos on social media you know, and it looks glamorous. We all think, gosh, I want that life. But we've talked to a lot of van lifers and they spend a majority of their day looking for a place to park their van for the night, a place to camp, looking for a place to take a shower, looking for a place to go to the bathroom, looking for a place for internet. It's not always what it looks like. And the adventure that you do for two weeks that is absolutely incredible If you did that same activity set for two years, 
it might drive you nuts. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I think in the end, it's about balance. I think so too. So Lisa, really to boil this down, well, now that we've rambled on for a while, in your situation, you have two choices, all right? You're starting your career. So your choices are this. You work at your career and you adventure on your vacation days and holidays. Now, the good news is, is because you live in Los Angeles, you have so many incredible public lands close to you. So that would actually be a pretty easy thing to do. The other choice is you take a gap year from work or two years and either you do it now before you start your career or you work for some years and you save your money and do it. But that's kind of what you're looking at. Either do it on your vacation time and weekends or take a gap year or two. And on those gap years, uh, just from personal experience, even though you're out adventuring and you're traveling and you probably want to not think about the career for a while because that's what you're doing, right? You're getting away from that. I would suggest keep your connections within that area of expertise or industry that you worked. Keep those connections alive. Make sure that people know that you're still around, you're still interested. Someday you're coming back to work. You're just taking some time off to travel so they don't think that you just, you know, you're gone forever and you're not, you know, you're not coming back to that industry or to that job. Mm -hmm. I think that's good advice. No matter what age you are, if you're 18 or if you're 88, I think there's always a way to go out and adventure on your timetable, on your schedule, and with what fits in your life. You just have to figure out what that is. Hopefully, Lisa, this helps a little bit. Yeah, thanks for the great question. We hope you enjoyed today's mailbag episode. We always have a lot of fun with it. Um, keep sending us your mailbag questions to Matt and Karen Smith at gmail.com. And you can follow us as we travel and post about our outdoor adventures on Instagram at Matt and Karen Smith, on our Facebook page at Dear Bob and S, and on Twitter at Matt and Karen. Right. We have plans on our episode schedule to do a show about our favorite national park inspired recipes. I know, which is pretty funny because neither one of us are very, very good cooks. These are national park inspired recipes. But we actually have to cook them, don't we, to talk about them? Well, yes, I suggest you cook them. I will take pictures of them and put them on Twitter and then I'll eat them. All right. This sounds like a fair deal. Um, Also in November, we will have our annual gear guide coming up as well. Gear and desserts. I love the holidays. Absolutely perfect for you, man.